Well, we continue on in our sermon series called Mission. This week, my sermon is entitled Mission, the Mission of the Church. Now, last week, we considered the mission of God, and we arrived at the conclusion that one way we could articulate the mission of God, once we had considered God's nature, once we considered God's purpose in creation, and once we had looked at God's work of redemption, we might say that the mission of God is to make himself known to his creation and to make his glory known among his people through the redemption of love accomplished by Jesus Christ. We move from there now to this week considering the mission of the church. And there are many ways one could go about answering the question, what is the mission of the church? And obviously the most profitable path takes us to examine Scripture, to see what it says about that. But to consider all of Scripture and all it says about this topic is, of course, too broad for this one sermon. And so we are going to focus on the Great Commission passages of the New Testament. You heard me correctly. I said Great Commission passages. And you heard those read to you this morning. The Great Commission passage, the one that we are used to, is of course found in the 28th chapter of Matthew. Now in 1886, James Fraser was born. He was an accomplished concert pianist and an honor student in engineering at the University of London. He left those career opportunities to be a missionary to the Lizu peoples in Western China. And he said this about the Great Commission in Matthew 28. A command has been given. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It has not been obeyed. More than half the people in the world have never yet heard the gospel. What are we to say to this? Surely it concerns us Christians very seriously, for we are the people who are responsible. If our master returned today to find millions of people unevangelized and looked to us for an explanation, I cannot imagine what explanation we should have to give. Of one thing I am certain that most of the excuses we are accustomed to make with such good conscience now, we should be wholly ashamed of then. Many believers have understood the Great Commission to be our marching orders. It is the mission of the church. But we must know this morning that each of the gospel records and the book of Acts include a commission-type admonishment. And so as we consider the mission of the church, we're going to consider the passages from Matthew and Luke and John and Acts that you just heard read. These passages clarify for us the who, what, where, when, why, and how of the mission of the church. And they lead me to suggest to you this morning that the mission of the church is to make disciples by going into all the world and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and gathering those disciples into churches where they will be baptized and taught the commands of Christ all for the glory of God. 
That's a mouthful. Let me say it again. The mission of the church is to make disciples by going into all the world and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and gathering those disciples into churches where they will be baptized and taught the commands of Christ all for the glory of God. So let us start with the question, who, in order to confirm these passages and what they say about the mission of the church. Who? Who is the mission for? It was to the eleven that our Lord in Matthew 28 gave the great commission. We read, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said, and then he spoke those words of the great commission. The commission passage in Luke, in it we heard earlier from Nathan that it was also the eleven and those who were with them gathered together that heard the commission in Luke from Jesus. And it was also the eleven and those with them that Jesus indicated that he was sending them even as the Father sent him, as we heard from John chapter 20. And the commissioning verse from the book of Acts is directed at the eleven who were referred to as apostles whom he had chosen. That's Acts chapter 1 verse 2. And so clearly these mission-defining words were given to the original disciples those who were recognized as apostles and perhaps those closely associated with them. But was it just for them? It becomes clear that the early church believed these words applied to all of Jesus' disciples. Though the apostles hold a unique role in the history of the church, the book of Acts confirms that other disciples took their marching orders from these commissioned commands of Jesus. We see in the book of Acts that some notable people began to obey Christ and go on mission. These include Philip in Acts 8, Barnabas in Acts 13 and 14, Silas in Acts 15, Timothy in Acts 16, Priscilla and Aquila in Acts 18, as well as Apollos in Acts 18. And so very early on, we see other disciples going on mission, along with the disciples, the 11. Further, if we consider Matthew 28, if the original disciples were told to teach all of Jesus' commands to the new disciples, that would out of necessity include the command to make disciples. The command to make disciples is binding on all disciples, beginning with the 11, and then continuing on to every disciple after that. Finally, though, when we will discuss this later when we engage with the when question, Jesus indicates in Matthew 28 that the time frame of the Great Commission is to the ends of the age. And certainly it wasn't apostles only who would need to carry that responsibility, but it would have to be every believer of every age who took that mission on themselves. And lastly, because disciples gather in churches and an unchurched disciple is almost a complete contradiction, the context of who these passages are aimed at is the universal church and the local churches of which that universal church is comprised. 
It's for us. It's for our church. That's the who of the mission. Now, if we think about pop culture for a moment, if I mention the word mission, many people will think of the hit movie series starring Tom Cruise, which goes by the name Mission Impossible. Now, some of you young people might not know this, but in the 60s and 70s, there was a TV show called Mission Impossible, and that's where those movies come from. And I hear some of you saying, okay, boomer, under your breath. But I'm not a boomer. And then you say, well, that's what a boomer would say. But both the movie and the TV show from which it originated had a tagline. And the tagline was, your mission should you choose to accept it. And that line initiated the suspense of the movie or the shows because in principle, the agent, whether he be Ethan Hunt or Jim Phelps, could decline the mission. Well, be that as it may, we as disciples of Christ need to understand that this is not a mission that we can decline. In becoming a disciple, we accept the mission of disciples. The only real question is whether we will pursue that mission faithfully or unfaithfully. Brothers and sisters, the mission of the church, the mission laid out in these commission passages, it is our mission. West London Alliance Church, this is our mission. Let us never think it's a matter of participation or not. Rather, it's a matter of being found faithful or not in regards to that mission. To whom were the foundational commands of the church's mission given? They were given to the apostles and to every disciple and ultimately to every church. Let's move on to the what of the commission passages. What does the mission entail? Well, from the great commission, we understand the mission entails making disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 has one main verb, and it's the imperative, make disciples. That phrase, make disciples, should convey the idea of people submitting to the teaching and training of another. Technically, it means to be or cause one to be a pupil who learns and adheres to the teaching of another. And that teaching of another is the teaching of Jesus. And so we are to make disciples. Now, out of necessity, and what our passage from Luke makes clear, is that what precedes the making of disciples is the preaching of the gospel. Let me read Luke 24 again. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. We see in Acts chapter 14, verse 21, a verse that confirms this pattern. It's speaking about Paul and Barnabas, who were two who would take that mission to make disciples and spend their lives in it. We read in Acts 14, 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. 
And so the mission involves preaching the gospel, which leads to, Lord willing, disciples being made. Now, one of the applications we can make in regards to the mission of churches and the disciples of which those churches are comprised is in regards to the making of those disciples. We need to be clear. The mission of the church is not to make converts. We are not on mission to elicit evangelistic decisions. Our, message is def- our mission is definitely to share the gospel, and I think we ought to share the gospel in a way that requires a response. But for those who repent and believe, we must continue to walk with them and continue to work with them in order to see those converts made into disciples. And so we need to be a church that is, yes, passionate about sharing the gospel and passionate about seeing people come to faith, but also passionate about discipling those disciples into maturity. What does the mission of the church entail? It entails making disciples through the preaching of the gospel and teaching those disciples to obey Jesus. The next question is where? Where does the church make disciples? Well, our passages give clarity to us for the where of the mission of the church. The Great Commission urges saints to make disciples of all nations, which indicates how broad the scope of our mission is. Now, that phrase, all nations, doesn't technically refer to geographic locations. Most modern New Testament scholars agree that the phrase is speaking about uh, people as opposed to a geographic location. It refers to people groups which are gathered because they share a language or a religion or ethnicity or a residence or occupation or class or case or, or some general situation or a combination of these. And yet, our commission passage in Acts indicates that Jesus sent disciples initially to Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, but then ultimately to the end of the earth. And so we are to make disciples from all people groups in all places. Now, the book of Revelation supports that wholeheartedly because we see in that book the apostle John recording what is declared about Jesus. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 through 10, or 9 through 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Now, a couple weeks ago, I asked for your participation in my sermon, and Before I did that, I told you I don't do it often, and I don't, but I'm going to do it again today. And it's got a little different purpose than that first one, but it's going to include a lot of the same people, and I'll ask you to help in in just a minute. But I want you to know that I heard the gospel in Canada. I got saved when I was in grade seven, and I went to a junior high snow camp. And the gospel was shared to me. 
And the Holy Spirit regenerated my heart, gave me new spiritual life, and I repented of my sins, and I put my faith in Jesus. And so that means the gospel came from Jerusalem 2,000 or so years ago and made its way across a great ocean so that I, when I was in grade seven, could hear it and believe. That's amazing. But I want you, if you heard the gospel and came to faith in a different country than Canada, I'd like you to stand up. If that's you, please stand up. I'm going to point to you. I want you to say the country that you heard the gospel and were saved in and then sit down. Okay? Praise God. Praise God. That means that the gospel which was first preached in Jerusalem, has spread all over this planet, and it needs to spread more, and we should rejoice in that. If you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, understand this about Christians. This message, this gospel of Jesus who would suffer and rise compels us because it saved us, and we want people to know Christians aren't interested in taking over the world in the sense of some sort of power struggle. They do want the gospel to go all over the world and people to hear about it and be saved. And if you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, we want you to hear that. We want you to hear the good news of forgiveness of sins that comes to us when we repent of them and put our faith in Jesus. Jesus who suffered and died for those sins, and rose from the dead. And so as we talk about the mission of the church this morning, if you're here or you're watching online and you're an unbeliever, we want you to hear that gospel. We want you to hear about our Savior. And we encourage you to repent and believe. Where does the mission of the church propel the church to go in order to make disciples? Everywhere. Where does the mission of the church take the church and its disciples to? The whole earth. Next question, when? What is the time frame of this mission? Well, in the book of Acts, from our passage, we get a clear sense of the beginning of the time frame, which mentions the word when. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The resurrected Jesus is indicating to his disciples the mission begins in earnest when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And this event is known about as Pentecost, and we read about it in Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So sometime, probably at the end of the month of May in AD 33, since then, the church has been on mission. Our passage from Luke confirms this. 
As verse 49 sees Jesus indicate the Spirit coming upon disciples. It, he would be the catalyst for the onset of their mission. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so that's when it started. And the end of that time frame is also evident in our commission passages. I've already mentioned that the Great Commission indicates we are to be on mission, making disciples until the end of the age. Now, the end of the age refers to the future return of Christ. And so until he returns, we are to be on mission. Now, some Christians have used the projected completion of the Great Commission, you know, what we might call the church's mission accomplished. They've tried to use that as a way of determining when Christ will return. Theologian George Ladd gives believers good counsel in regards to this. He writes, someone else will say, how are we to know when the mission is completed? How close are we to the accomplishment of the task? Which countries have been evangelized and which have not? How close are we to the end? Does this not lead to date setting? I answer, I do not know. God alone knows the definition of terms. I cannot precisely define who all the nations are. He alone will know when that objective has been accomplished. But I do not need to know. I only know one thing. Christ has not yet returned, therefore the task is not yet done. When it is done, Christ will come. Our responsibility is not to insist on defining the terms of our task. Our responsibility is to complete it. So as long as Christ does not return, our work is undone. Let us get busy and complete our mission. We don't know when it will end because we don't know when Christ will return, but we know if he hasn't returned, we're still on mission. And so that's the time frame we work for. What is the time frame of this mission? It began the day of Pentecost, 50 or so days after Christ came back from the dead, and it will not be over until Christ returns. Next question, why? Why is there a mission? And for the answer to that question, we look back to last week's sermon on the mission of God. The why of our mission is found in God. We are on mission because God is on mission. And last week I indicated, as I already read this morning, the mission of God is to make himself known to his creation and to make his glory known among his people through the redemption of love accomplished by Jesus Christ. And so we are to be on mission for the glory of God. Many of you will have heard the famous quote by John Piper about mission and missions. He said, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. The suggestion he makes is that until everyone of God's people is acknowledging his glory, is worshiping him and adoring him, we have work to do. We want God to be known. We want his glory to be acknowledged and adored. That's why we're on mission. Theologian John Stott in his commentary on Romans raises our thoughts to a very exalted theme. Think about this. He said, the highest of all missionary motives 
is neither obedience to the Great Commission, important as that is, nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, strong as that incentive is, especially when we contemplate the wrath of God, but rather zeal burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. Why is the church on mission? For the glory of God. Next question, how? How is the mission accomplished? Our commission passages indicate much about the how of the mission. We'll confine our attention to four aspects. We are to go as those who are sent. We are to make disciples through baptism and teaching. We are to be witnesses to Jesus, and we are to go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, go is not the main command of the Great Commission. Make disciples is. But make no mistake, we are to go. We have been sent by the Lord. Our commission passage in John's gospel says basically just that. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Brothers and sisters, if we are to be obedient to the mission, we must go. If we are to be like Jesus, we must go. We have been sent. We must go. Second, we are to make disciples, and that making disciples is accomplished through baptizing and teaching. Now, again, among theologians, there is almost unanimous agreement that baptizing and teaching are subordinate to the main idea of making disciples. And what is all entailed by baptizing and teaching is too long a discussion for this sermon. But certainly, the New Testament envisions, in fact, insists that disciples, having heard the gospel and responded with repentance and faith, are to be baptized and they are to be taught. And so that's the mode of disciple-making. It describes how we accomplish this mission. Third, the how of our mission can also be described as bearing witness of Jesus and therefore bearing witness of his works. Luke records Jesus saying that in regards to his death and resurrection and the ensuing proclamation of repentance and forgiveness, you are witnesses of these things. Now, the original disciples were eyewitnesses. We are ear witnesses. We proclaim what they saw and what we have heard and believed. We are his ear witnesses. Our passage in Acts also relates to being a witness for Jesus. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then we get to, finally, the how of the mission of the church that is foundational to how it is accomplished, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers the people of God. This is how we accomplish the mission. And this empowerment begins at the very onset of being a disciple. You are given new spiritual life. And once the Spirit has regenerated a person who thereby repents and believes, the Spirit empowers them for service. And the service particularly in mind here is that of obeying the Great Commission and the other commissioning passages. 
The Spirit empowers us to make disciples. The Spirit empowers us to go into all the world. The Spirit empowers us to proclaim the gospel. The Spirit empowers us to gather disciples into churches. The Spirit empowers us to baptize and teach them all for the glory of God. So how is the mission of the church accomplished? In the power of the Spirit. How is the mission of the church accomplished? By us going because we are sent. By us baptizing and teaching disciples. By us bearing witness to our Lord and his gospel. Now, we have considered the who, what, where, when, why, and how of the mission of the church by looking at the commissioning passages in Matthew, Luke, John, and Acts. And I indicated these passages lead me to suggest to you that the mission of the church is to make disciples by going into all the world and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and gathering those disciples into churches where they will be baptized and taught the commands of Christ all for the glory of God. And those of you who have been tracking closely with me are thinking, wait a minute, Pastor Jude, you have included something in that definition which you really have not spoke about today, and you are correct. I haven't spoken yet about the gathering of disciples into churches, but you'll have to wait till next week for that. The mission of church planting, and we're going to talk about that, but I believe it is part and partial of the mission of the church, and we'll pick up that conversation then. But for now, let's pray that God would help us to understand the mission of the church and to undertake the mission of the church all for the glory of God. Now, let me articulate one final ultimate application this morning. And as I do that, I'm going to quote my son-in-law, Max Stanley. Max Stanley has said many times, let's go. (laughs) And if you know Max Stanley, you know that he likes to say that. Let's go. And that phrase calls us to be excited about the reality of the mission we've been given, to be excited about the execution of that mission in our lifetimes, and to propel us to actually do it. And so that I I hope you, deep in your heart, as you have heard and considered these commission passages from the lips of Jesus, have an excitement welling up in your heart that says, let's go, let's go. I hope that you will, that we will go and make disciples. Understanding that going and making disciples takes some people to Wales and some people to where they work. It takes some people to Nepal, but it takes most of us to our neighborhoods. It takes some people to Fiji, but it takes all of us to our family and friends. We all have a mission to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples. And until Christ returns, we're not done. And, and I'll be honest with you, it doesn't matter to me what, how many earthquakes happen. It doesn't matter to me where wars break out, even if it's in the promised land. I mean, it doesn't matter in the sense of we're on mission. 
Until I see Jesus, this is what I'm called to do. Until we see Jesus, this is what we're called to do. So let's go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these gospels in the book of Acts in which we have the words of Jesus commissioning us as his disciples. And I pray, Father God, that you would help us in regards to this. Father God, that you would help us with our motivation, that we would be excited and we would desire in such a powerful way that you would be glorified and that your gospel would go out and that good would be done to people and we would see disciples being made and that we would participate in that. And I pray, Father God, that you by your Holy Spirit would help us to understand with crystal clarity the truth that each and every one of us has this mission. Whether we live in London, Ontario, or we go somewhere else, this is what we're called to do. And I pray, Father God, that you by your Spirit would help us to both desire and to willingly follow through on pursuing this no matter what it costs. And I pray, Father God, that you by your spirit would help us lean in to the truth that we don't do this as individuals. We do this as churches, as body of believers, because that's the mission that you have given us. Father, we thank you for the gospel and for Jesus in whom and by which we were saved. And I pray, Father God, that we would be part of your great work of proclaiming that gospel and making disciples to the ends of the earth, to the end of the age. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.